Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have Anne on today's episode. She's a member of our community and is a wife and a mom of three beautiful growing kids. She was raised in a conservative Mennonite church. She's passionate about giving voice to the experiences that sexual and religious abuse survivors face. Anne posted on social media and contacted us, and we thought we need to talk with her about this issue. So her social media post said, Saying that forgiveness is the key to restoring relationships is placing a burden on the part of the offended or victim that God never meant for them to carry. God himself does not do that. Why do we force people to do it like it's some kind of spiritual thing to do? It takes both repentance and forgiveness to save a relationship. The offended party can forgive all they want, but it takes repentance on the part of the offender to save a relationship. And that is completely out of the victim's control. John MacArthur has proven himself to not be a safe place for abuse victims in the past, and quotes like this remind me again of how unsafe some of his teaching is. Please be discerning. And then she posted a picture of someone else's post and put an X through it, and it said that basically forgiveness is the key to restoring relationships, rather than saying repentance is the key to restoring relationships, which nobody ever says that, right? Nobody ever says stopping the harm is the key to a relationship. And it's really interesting that they don't say that. And that would, oh, I don't know, put the responsibility on the perpetrator of the abuse. And that's kind of too hard. Apparently, we need to put it on the woman. When you saw this meme and you were like, no, and you posted it, put an X through it and and said, hey, you know what? This is not cool, guys. Tell me how you began exploring what forgiveness is and how it looks. So as a young adult, memories of sexual assault from a variety of sources began to surface for me. And I was a very young child when I was group raped by a group of male adults from the Amish and Mennonite culture. As a result, I grew up in a culture where forgiveness was something that was very much preached and taught, but it was the kind of forgiveness where everything goes back to normal. It was basically denial-based, if I can put it that way. So that's how I grew up, and for many years I 
did not even remember what happened to me because obviously, as you know, trauma can make somebody disassociate for obvious reasons in order for them to survive. I was no exception with that. It wasn't until I had moved away and got married that all those trauma memories began to resurface for me. And then I started asking questions like, what does forgiveness look like? Because the first time I told someone my story about what happened to me as a child, I was told that I needed to become a victor and not a victim and that I needed to forgive. And the forgiveness basically meant that if you forgive, it never really happened. Was anyone prosecuted? That's another big part of my story that a lot of people don't know about. About five years ago, I did report it, but the county that I grew up in, there's a lot of rumors that there's corruption in the county, and a lot of the cases involving Amish and Mennonite girls never make it to court at all. In fact, I don't know of one that has ever made it to the courthouse. I am so proud of you for being so brave to report, especially under those circumstances. Most of the time, women don't report for good reason, because reporting, you get more traumatized through that. And so I'm proud of of victims who also don't report for really good reasons, right? So I'm not trying to say that people should do one or the other, because they're both very traumatizing and complex. Wow, I am so sorry. I found out years later that the way they actually went about trying to get a confession in my case was something that is not normally done. And so, again, it leads me to believe that there's corruption there because uh, things did not go far in my case. And there would have been multiple felonies involved with that. So it wasn't like it was something small, put it that way. In cases like this, and in so many cases, it feels like, heaven forbid, the perpetrator, who is a man, have consequences from this. That would be bad for his life, so we're not going to do anything. They don't even consider the consequences to the victim that she has to bear no matter what. Correct. Victims don't have a choice about what kind of consequences, and there always is consequences. So you get married and you remember these things. Is that when you started talking about it and trying to get some sort of either resolution or restitution or even just to process what had happened to you? Is this when you start getting pushback that you just need to forgive from your community? Are you still at this point active in the Mennonite community, active in your church? I began a blogging about abuse in... 2016 or 2017, I can't remember which year it was, but I was still very much in the middle of um, working through my own story. And I began writing because I realized how much of a need there was. Like I realized that there were so many other women like me who had gone through horrific things like that. And whenever you're in the middle of something like that, you feel so alone. Like my heart just went out to those people and I began connecting with some of them. And the more I wrote, the more I connected with people like that. I never dreamed that I would have that kind of a ministry. It kind of came out of the blue in, in a way. But I have been Mennonite all my life except for the last eight months. So we only recently have left the Mennonite culture. And that's a whole nother story in itself that I probably won't get into today. But yeah. In a nutshell, did you leave because of the, these issues? Yes, I would definitely say that played a part in it, 
for sure. For sure. So how would you describe forgiveness first in a way that is unhelpful, that is not what God intended? And then how would you describe it in the way that it's actually useful and helpful and healing and in the way that God intended? So let's start with what it's not supposed to be, but what the culture generally thinks it is, and then go into what is actually useful. So whenever I think about forgiveness and the things that it is not, I often hear a lot of cliches about forgiveness that are just, they're, they're unhelpful and honestly, they're so untrue in, in so many ways. Things like forgiveness restores relationships. Really? I mean, is that what happened when Jesus forgave the people who nailed him to the cross? Doesn't there have to be genuine repentance on the part of, of perpetrators in order for the forgiveness Jesus extended to, to restore relationship? Things like forgiveness heals you. I don't think that forgiveness heals you in that it takes the pain away. It didn't take Jesus' pain away. It definitely did not take my pain away. I mean, I would have flashback after flashback, and for years I've had flashbacks. And there was a time in my life where I forgave every single time I had a flashback. But forgiving did not make it go away or make it less or heal me, if that makes sense. Some people will say that forgiveness frees you. Man, I'm kind of on the fence with that one <laughs> because I guess it depends what you think of as free. Like, what what do you mean by that? I don't think that forgiveness freed Jesus from the suffering that he was dealing with. So what do people mean when they say that? I definitely would not say that forgiveness is freeing just because I think it gives victims a false narrative about what it does. Some people will say that forgiveness helps you not stay stuck in your past and helps you move on. All these cliches are things that just rub me the wrong way. <laughs> Did Jesus move on? What is meant by moving on? How does that look? There are people who, who will say that if you're still talking about what happened to you, then you haven't forgiven. And my response to that is I find it really interesting that Jesus, he wasn't afraid to show his scars after he was resurrected. Forgiveness is different than that. And then also there's people that will say that, you know, if you can't be around the person who hurt you, then how can you say you've forgiven them? And again, I come back to that whole repentance thing. Jesus loved the people who, who hurt him whenever they nailed him on the cross. But as far as having a personal relationship with them, that was not there unless they repented. And also I want to say this too, before I get much further. <laughs> I find it really ironic that I'm even talking about forgiveness because forgiveness is one of my major triggers. I just want people to understand that if this, if forgiveness is triggering for them, like I totally get it. And it's okay if you, if you just click off the podcast and not listen to this, like I get it. I've been there. And I, even to this day, if I don't know the person who's speaking about forgiveness and I don't know if they're safe or not, I sometimes won't even listen to whatever it is, or read an article. Um, that's how triggering forgiveness is for me. It's been used against me way too many times. Yeah, as a form of spiritual abuse. Correct, yes. I just thought of a little example that I never thought of before when you said, if you talk about it, then you haven't forgiven. That's kind of like saying, if you talk about when you went to college, then you didn't actually graduate. As if someone's supposed to pretend that that time of their life 
didn't happen, right? Or you're not supposed to talk about your pregnancy or your baby wouldn't, didn't get born. Or, I mean, it's a weird thing to be like, okay, you can talk about your pregnancy. You can talk about college. You can talk about high school. You can talk about your job. You can talk about all these things, but you can't talk about this or it means that you are still severely damaged or something's wrong with you or something like that. It's ridiculous. Like we should all be able to share anything that happened to us, regardless of whether we're still in a lot of pain and a lot of trauma or we're feeling better. Like I can feel fantastic and still be like, oh man, I remember the time that my husband screamed in my face. Exactly. And the whole thing of forgiveness healing, one of the things that I keep going back to is I keep comparing trauma to, you know, physical trauma, basically. And saying that forgiveness heals you and telling somebody that after they have been hit by a drunk driver, like, no, but we would not say that to somebody who is a paraplegic who was hit by a drunk driver. You know what I mean? It's just dumb. We don't, we don't say stuff like that. It's said all the time to abuse survivors. Why? I, I just wish people could understand how much this, these cliches hurt. I think the main reason is misogyny. I think the main reason is because they do not want the perpetrator to experience the consequences of that. They would prefer that nobody rocks the boat and that there's forgiveness and that everybody can still be happily together and all in the same room and go to a family event or, you know, stuff like that. They don't want the consequences of that to affect him. They do not mind if it affects you. Correct. So how I would describe forgiveness, I don't like cliches. And so this is going to sound cliche and I hate that. But like when I look at forgiveness, according to a biblical standpoint, Forgiveness basically means to let go. And if I had to put into words what that looks like, I would repeat the words of Jesus when he was being nailed to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I think that that shows how Jesus let go. He didn't necessarily let go of the pain. It wasn't that he denied the pain or that he, yeah, there was no denial involved, but he understood that God was just and that God would execute justice on his behalf. And that's why it was safe to let go. And one of the verses that like kind of started me on the whole forgiveness journey, it's the verse in Ephesians 4, 32, where it says, forgive even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And and I kept saying, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to forgive like Jesus did? And then I, I went back to the crucifixion and I was like, so what did forgiveness for Jesus look like? And again, it's not this thing of relationship. It's this thing of letting go and, and knowing that God is going to execute justice on your behalf. That's, to me, in a short nutshell, what forgiveness is. With that example of Christ on the cross, one of the thought I just had is acceptance. Accepting that this person is the way that they are. Christ is all powerful, right? So in that moment, he could have been like, oh, I'm going to get myself off the cross. I am going to shock these guys into repentance or something. I'm going to send hail down on their heads and they'll take me off this cross. He could have gotten himself off the cross, but he didn't. He accepted 
that they were the way they were and he accepted the consequences of their actions. In our case, I think so many victims who are married to their abuser in the case of spouse abuse, the woman does not want to break up her family. She really genuinely wants him to be an appropriate, kind, healthy person to be able to be in relationship with him, but he is not. Right. And so Christ's example of accepting that that's the situation and also accepting the consequences of that. That would mean that it is appropriate to separate yourself from the harm. It is appropriate to keep yourself safe. In Christ's case, it was okay that he died. And that's an awful consequence. But then he was resurrected three days. God always has a plan. So knowing that God has a plan for us, it's okay to accept reality. It's okay to accept the consequences of this. It's okay to to know that you have to face them head on and accept them for what they are. 100% agree with that. And I also want to say that like, there will be people that sometimes twist things to say that letting go and giving it to God means that you can't get the state involved with consequences. And to that, I just say, why then in Romans, where it talks about Romans 13, it says that those who execute judgment on evildoers are ministers of God. Letting go does not mean that I don't do my part to see that justice is done again through what God has said about ministers of God executing judgment on those who do evil. And so I just want to make that clear that that's not where I'm going with this at all. Uh, Because I know that there are people who believe that, and that's how I would have believed at one point, too. Throughout the Bible, that is not the way to go. It's that they need to be judged and that you need to separate yourself or be delivered from wickedness. Judges who appropriately protect victims from abuse are agents of God to deliver people from wickedness. My story is, generally speaking, only emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. One of the very few instances, it was only about three, that were physical, the police actually came to my house and arrested him. They were angels of mercy. Like, that is how I recognized what was happening, and that is what delivered me from the abuse. So having someone recognize and hold someone accountable is a godly thing. And I don't understand why accepting and just kind of turning your eyes away from wickedness rather than confronting it is godly in any way. I don't think it is in any way. Just helping someone separate from it is what is the righteous thing to do. Correct. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Why is the concept of justice so important when it comes to forgiveness? I grew up believing that there was no difference between justice and revenge. But in my own words, I would say that revenge is getting someone back you know, 10 times worse than they what, what they got you, basically. But justice is different in that it's basically a consequence. Like, there needs to be consequences when wrong is done. And God is both justice and mercy, and we see it over and over and over again. Like, he holds both of those at the same time. You can't have mercy without justice because it just becomes injustice. And justice without mercy becomes injustice, too. And so... I feel like they they go together. And when we let one or the other slide, there's a lot of injustice that happens. And I think the church particularly has 
really erred on the side of mercy without understanding how just God is and that truth and justice go together and that you can have mercy and you can have justice together at the same time. And that's what Jesus did over and over again. He held both of those at the same time. And I think we need to do that better with that too. Talk about the ways in which religious settings put more emphasis on victims forgiving than abusers repenting and how that does great harm to both victims and abusers. Yeah, like you said, churches have a tendency to try to restore relationships between perps and survivors in an effort to make the situation just go away. And I think part of the reason that they do that is because it feels way less ugly and it's way less messy in a way. However, the damage that happens when that goes on is just, like it just leaves a trail of devastation in both the victim and the perp. Because for the victim, obviously, like that, we understand how that leaves a trail of devastation for them. But it also leaves a a trail of devastation for the perp because they basically get away with it. I feel like we pat perps on the back on their way to to eternal damnation while while we shoot the wounded because our theology on forgiveness is so one-sided a perpetrator of lifelong emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion gets caught and then they say oh i'm a porn addict i'm so sorry they're still lying but they sound like they're telling the truth And then their clergy, maybe even their therapist, starts giving them gold stars, patting them on the back like, you're being honest. Good job. Oh, you're you're the victim because you've been an addict and your dad didn't play baseball with you as a kid. And and you felt shame, like as if all the victims haven't had those same things happen to them. And so we're so proud of you. Good job. Rather than being like, whoa, 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 whoa. You've been abusive for 20 years, and we just caught you. So we're not going to believe a word you say. We're going to like keep our eyes on you from a safe distance to watch if you're really healthy for the next three years. And we're not going to believe a word that comes out of your mouth. That would be the appropriate response. Instead, they just start getting pats on the back or good job for finally telling the truth. And we're so proud of you for repenting when they're just trying to sort of manage their image after they got caught. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yes, you explained it very well. (laughs) I think there is a lack of knowing what repentance looks like. It's not just a simple apology, as you just said. There has to be complete acknowledgement of sin without excuses and without minimization. And there has to be acceptance of all the consequences. Repentance always respects the boundaries of the victim. And they, they understand the damage that they've done to the point where they're willing to give space. They are not there trying to restore relationship until the victim's ready. In other words, it's all in the victim's hands. It's, it's not about the perp at all. And a perp will not care if the whole world knows about what he did. Like he's not out there trying to keep his reputation intact. I think that's a, that's a huge one. That's a huge red flag when someone's out there trying to get people to quiet down about what happened. When forgiveness is a culture's strong point, while genuine repentance is a weak point, there will always be injustice that thrives in that culture. 
abuse thrives when just a quick, I'm sorry if I hurt you, is seen as repentance. Abuse thrives when perps can just cry a few crocodile tears, and everything goes back to normal after that. Abuse thrives when the right words are seen as repentance, and when victims are just forced to forgive. What are some ways churches could become safer? So the thing I keep coming back to is just the lack of self-awareness that churches and and institutions have. We do not do well with self-examination and collective repentance as a group. There's so much humility that is needed, and there has to be a willingness to listen to victims because how else are you going to know that there's wolves inside your church if you're not willing to listen to the people who are saying this person's not okay i refuse to tell someone that they need to forgive and and the reason i refuse to tell someone that they need to forgive is simply because especially if they've grown up grown up in the church they know what forgiveness is it's not like a foreign concept to them but i don't get to choose when forgiveness is a part of their story that's up to God. And I think especially if the survivor, if the victim is someone who loves Jesus and who has a relationship with God, God is going to show them when that time comes, when and what forgiveness will look like for them. I don't need to push it. They need space to grieve and lament. And I think that's the kind of thing that the church needs to give them. Yeah, I don't even think forgiveness should even be a topic of conversation. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Totally agree. I love that you said that. Like, if this is triggery for you, just turn it off. Because it shouldn't even be brought up in any way, shape, or form. Uh, The only thing that needs to be brought up in abuse cases is safety. Are you safe? How can we help you be more safe? Yes, and you know what? Abuse survivors will absolutely heal when they're safe. And then they're, they're looking at an abuse victim wondering why she's not healing when she's still being abused emotionally and psychologically, and it would be impossible to heal when when you're still uh, receiving that harm. So Anne, thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts on forgiveness and how we can reframe it to actually help victims get to safety. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Hey, it's awesome to be on with you. Thank you so much. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, Stay safe out there.